Welcome to Hacking Hypermobility Podcast. I'm Luna. And I'm Shelly. And we're two bendy mamas. Hacking hypermobility. So when we say hypermobility, what do we mean, Shelly? Well, as I have recently learned, um, it is a spectrum of inherited disorders and it affects your connective tissue. And it's one of the biggest commonalities in joint hypermobility. And so what is hypermobility? It's bending beyond the range of like what your fingers can do. So I have a lot of bendiness here. See, I go down here, right? Like in your fingers is what you're saying. In my fingers and in my toes and in my elbow. I can turn my elbow all kinds of crazy ways, um, which is cool for party tricks. But doing that often can cause joint pain, stiffness, injuries. Um, you'll eventually lose range of motion and it can mess up your muscles and your ligaments, your ligaments. You're gonna be tired even after you rest. You're gonna be tired even after you wake up from a full night's sleep. Um, and when you wake up, you're gonna be stiff. Think of the Tin Man, and that's probably a really old dated reference because I'm old. Poor balance and coordination. Um, your connective tissue holds your body up. It connects you, right? So, if you have a problem with your connective tissue, everything that holds you together, gonna, yeah. this is genetic and you're born with it and there's nothing you can do about it, but don't despair because we're gonna help you. So before we go further, I think it's important to note that both Shelly and I have something called the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes. We'll call it EDS. Yep. Um, we'll probably focus most of our discussion on what people are diagnosed as the joint hypermobility syndrome or EDS, just because those um, JHS and EDS um, and the subtype of EDS called hypermobile EDS or HEDS are probably the the biggest bulk of the inherited connective tissue disorders and those that we personally identify with, um, and they're the most common. Um, but truly, connective tissue disorders have really what we call systemic manifestations. So it's not just not related just to your joints. So what are those comorbidities? Well, <laughs> there's a lot, Shelley. As you and I know, we don't have all of them, but we deal with a lot personally. Um, but comorbidities are conditions that are seen frequently in people with hypermobility. So it's like a secondary diagnosis. And sometimes they're even worse than just your joint issues. So our disorder actually happens at the like cellular level. It's not just a joint issue. Um, so some of the conditions associated with um, the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes include some things that are kind of vague that you wouldn't necessarily think are most devastating to some of us have to do with um, either dysautonomia or autonomic dysfunction, the most common diagnosis seen in EDS patients, or sometimes not even diagnosed and missed really is called POTS. It stands for postural tachycardia syndrome. Um, we also tend to have skin issues, although skin issues vary across um, the spectrum with us, like a lot of these symptoms, but a lot of us have stretchy skin. Um, if you're watching, this is a party trick I will do because it doesn't hurt me, but I have very stretchy skin. See, mine doesn't, um, mine doesn't quite do that. But it's still beyond. It's still beyond yeah. normal. Yeah. Um, we bruise easily. We're always covered in bruises. 
Shelly yeah. fought a chair recently and the chair won. The chair won. So coming up on a week. Not beaten. I so um if you're not watching the video podcast, you yeah. should just go see us in this episode at least to see what we mean about the bruises. Just for a minute, yeah. Yeah, just just for this widespread stretch marks, very young and in kind of odd places where you wouldn't expect to see stretch marks and poor wound healing. Like it takes a long time for wounds to close, to heal, they may reopen, and you may even have abnormal types of scarring. They call mast cell activation or disorder, and it's related to like an allergic immune response. A lot of us have conditions affecting our oral structures, like our teeth and um, gums, that sort of thing. Very small uh, mouths, um, high palates and stuff, where we have deviated septums, those sinus issues, those sorts of things. This really isn't an exhaustive list because, as Shelley said, connective tissues are all over your body. Yep. Um, so many of the connections still aren't fully understood or haven't even really been studied by medicine yet. It's true. And that's actually one of the most frustrating things about this whole journey I've been on and you and everyone is that no one knows about it. And that's why people like you and me, who are not doctors, by the way, are here talking about it because I don't see very many doctors out there talking about it. No, that's one of the biggest problems is there's a big lack of awareness for um, the hypermobility disorders and hypermobile EDS and Ehlers-Danlos syndromes in general. Um, but then there's also mm -hmm. a lack of medical support. So we'll talk more about it as we go, but that's really why Shelly and I are here talking to you, making this podcast and sharing what we've learned, but also hopefully to find out more information and kind of bring together all the fragmented information to try to support those of us like us. Yeah. And so you mentioned um, information and support, and I thought I heard you say you had come across some good information from Social Security the other day. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I always try to t stay on top of like news medical studies and stuff that come out about us. But I actually missed the announcement, or maybe there wasn't one, that the, so the Social Security Administration here in the United States uh, gathered a committee to convene to study the connective tissue disorders. Well, this week they came out and they released their pre-publication of study that they did. So if you're not in the U.S. or you're not that familiar with the Social Security Administration, that's the SSA. It's a national federal government organization and it's involved in um, federal disability insurance and supplemental income programs for disabled people. Uh, the SSA is tasked an expert committee that they convene to evaluate and provide a report to them, to the government, on the major inherited connective tissue disorders to provide current information. Okay, current, good. Yeah, which is important. Regarding diagnosis, treatment, and prognosis of the inherited connective tissue disorders, as well as the effect of their disorders and their treatment on functioning. So they're interested Ooh. in understanding how these disorders affect our lives and our ability to function. Um, 
because they're the ones who make the determination whether or not to help disabled people. And they basically decide how disabled we are and whether we can be insured or supported with assistance and income. Right. Well, that's great. But that report. Okay, tell me more. But you said they released it. It's pre-publication? So it's a pre-publication. So okay. there's these like kind of legal documents that set precedents for that administration to approve disability claims. Okay. So that's just a preview of the committee's findings and conclusions. Okay. So we will put that report in our show notes for this episode and our website. But um yeah. It's 400 pages, Luna. Give us the TLDR. Well, first, um, I did read it. <laughs> because you did. I was excited. But also it's because I was at the physical therapy office waiting for my kid to finish because it's an inherited disorder and guess who has it. So we were at PT. So I had an hour and I read it. Yeah. Um, and I definitely just read the introduction and then skipped to their conclusions and findings because I kind of already knew all the other stuff. Right. And I, I didn't just immediately know it. I've done a lot of research over the past couple of years. But anyhow, they have a group of findings. I'm going to kind of read through them, but I'm first I wanted to read the introduction because it was it it was exciting to me and just gave me a lot of hope. So, I haven't read it at all. So I haven't like, hey, like didn't she read it. I don't yeah. know. Well, I think just overall, I'm going to tell you my impression of this report is that I think we should be excited and hopeful that there was an effort, number one, to even convene people that are medical experts in this area. So, you know, it brought attention to our complex medical issues for the purposes of managing our disabilities and maybe hopefully less red tape and more support. That would be great. But do I trust it would be easy to get disability support, especially in the United States? No. So the SSA's findings overall were encouraging. So I should say that the committee was looking at the most common connective tissue disorders, which includes uh, Marfan syndrome, as well as the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and some others. But those were the two that they focused on. You download the document, the overall conclusions are all the way down in chapter six, and it's like page 289. And I'm just going to kind of go over small little segments here because it's kind of a cumbersome document, but I think all of their findings were important. So I'm not going to skip any of them. We're going to go through them. So in their introduction, I'm going to start there. They give some interesting perspective that I think is important. Okay. So we've already kind of touched on some of this, but I'm going to read what they wrote. Straight from uh, the SSA's mouth. Yeah, straight. Str well, straight from the expert SSA hired um, medical experts. professionals that convened, tasked by the SSA. Connective tissues, HDCTs, are how they reference them. Are a group of inherited disorders that affect connective tissues throughout the body. Okay. Connective tissue is an integral component of all organ systems and plays a crucial role in their function. Hence the physical and medical secondary impairments that manifest throughout the body and can affect functioning in every body system. Yes. That big point that we were making. Yes. Um, and then in their introduction, it kind of gives you a hint as to where their findings go. 
but they say physical and mental secondary impairments associated with the HDCTs may develop and vary in severity over time. And the introduction was bigger, and then they break down each um, connective tissue disorder that they looked at um, in known research and diagnosis and clinical applications, all that fun stuff. But at the end, the report goes into like what I guess most of us care about um, their, you know, conclusions. Right. So their first conclusion were, was this, the heritable disorders of connective tissue comprise a large and varied group of disorders in children and adults. And I'm glad they said children. Yes. That share the common feature of pronounced involvement of connective tissues, usually in multiple organ systems. Mm-hmm. The HDCTs can lead to a variety of physical and mental secondary impairments and associated functional limitations. That's key because that they acknowledge wording. that is yeah. a gift. Yes. Functional so they, limitations. Yes. So they acknowledged it's physical and mental, that there are a lot of comorbidities, and that there are functional limitations. I feel so validated. Already, and this is, like, what are we in the second point here? Yeah, but, like, okay, I have questions. I, this worries me. This worries me, and I'm going to tell you why, because people are getting diagnosed. Well, no, it doesn't worry me, because this is in their document about disability. I guess where I was going was I was I was afraid that they're going to say everybody has it, therefore nobody. So you can't be impaired. Yeah, that's so okay. Well, the next sentence literally says impairments can range from minor to severe. Okay, and even life-threatening, and may fluctuate in severity over time in an individual. Okay, all right. I feel better about that. Shelley was concerned about. You know, they addressed, and that's one of the most puzzling things. I think to medicine, but also that contributes to the lack of awareness and effective treatment and why right. we're missed right. is because of this variety and fluctuation. And so in terms of disability and assistance, the government is thinking mostly in terms of work and school. Um, and they do address uh, that functional limitations can affect participation in work, school, as well as social and recreational activities. and may include precautions, restrictions, that sort of thing. So they are acknowledging that it can range from, you know, minor to severe. Right. But even, even deadly. And we'll, we'll talk about that. That's something that we face. Yep. Um, but. That's just section one. It's already, I think we're on a good path, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the second point is more specific to this in terms of the SSA. Okay. So some of the SSA's adult listings and what they mean is what they have like codified as adult disability diagnoses. Oh, I've been looking at that because I recently Mm -hmm. applied. So I know what you're talking about. Applied directly to what are considered secondary impairments experienced by many individuals with the connective tissue disorders. Okay. And they could be used to evaluate disability in those individuals. Other listings with some modification may not be considered considered like full disability on its own. Okay. But could certainly apply to secondary impairments experienced by some of us. 
So what they're saying is like, they're acknowledging this is a combination of issues. Or okay. totality of the circumstances. Exactly. Whole That's the key word. I'm gonna repeat what you just said. Totality of circumstances. And it's very evident to me as we keep reading that not only are they interested in the totality of our circumstances, but also how did we get here? So bullet point number three, nearest and dearest to my heart, early diagnosis of the connective tissue disorders is important to reduce physical injury, yep. reduce psychological harm to the individual and family members, and prevent the risks associated with inappropriate inappropriate or fragmented medical care. Yep. That to me may be the single most powerful sentence written in this report. Yeah. Because that tells me these professionals they recognize that understand our disorders, recognize how literally traumatic it is for a family, how disabling it is. And how lacking the medical care can be to support us. Yes. Um, Their eyes are open, it seems. So that's good. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, you may be listening to us talk about like, this could even be life-threatening, it's systemic, it's um, missed. And you're thinking, well, what can I do, right? That's the question I get asked most often is, yeah. is there a cure? It's genetic. There's no cure. What's the point? Right. So although curative point. treatments for the connective tissue disorders don't exist at this time, appropriate understanding and management of the disorders can still reduce the frequency and severity of their manifestations and resulting functional consequences. Yeah. So just because there aren't cures doesn't mean there aren't things that we can do and by things we can do, I mean as patients, but also things we in in the community, those of us supporting these patients in the medical community can be doing things as well. Yeah. So continuing with number four, they also say that high quality care for an individual with inherited connective tissue disorders relies on effective coordination among a team of clinicians across a broad range of physical and mental health care disciplines yep. who are knowledgeable about these disorders. That would be nice. Right. So that's why I was like, I'm waiting to see Shelly's reaction. I'm like, um, <laughs> yeah. Yes, because, please. <laughs> yes, that would be lovely. That is one of our biggest frustrations, trying to coordinate care. Just get care. Find somebody who knows what they're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. So number five bookending that access to comprehensive multidisciplinary care for diagnosis um when did you get in here i have a cat in here <laughs> so um hold on the previous interruption was brought to you by dinah shelly's cat what luna was trying to say was that access to comprehensive multidisciplinary care for the diagnosis and management of connective tissue disorders can be limited by geography and other factors including the availability of care teams with expertise in the disorders. Okay, let's continue. So the sixth bullet point goes more into um, 
the problems with why we are lacking in clinical application. So it says education about the heritable connective tissue disorders, including all of it, the multi-system manifestations, actual diagnosis and management is important for all clinicians, all clinicians to help increase recognition and earlier diagnosis and enable the provision of appropriate care. They need to also include it. And I don't know if this is, this isn't on SSA's thing, but sorry, the ADHD is just going to interrupt here for a second. You know where else that needs to be included? Like on, um, you know how they do the hearing screening at schools, like the hearing and eye screening in like second grade or something. Like why aren't they doing hypermobility screening? Your point, I have something to add on to that point. We missed perfect opportunities for screening. One of the biggest opportunities for screening in the U.S. is that in public school systems, we are doing vision screenings. Yeah. And that is one of the most obvious ways to see connective tissue disorders is in your eyeball. Yep. Also, we should be screening for hypermobility in the sports where That's people are found that are hypermobile. Gym, gymnastics, dance, cheerleading, those sorts of things. But also, we haven't quite touched on it. We did a little bit. One of the big comorbidities that a lot of people seem to have their mind blown is what we call neurodivergence. And that's um, a a neurodevelopmental disorder such as ADHD, autism spectrum disorder, sensory processing, and there's others. Um, Axia and all that, right? Yeah. We really should be, I would love to find some way to raise our voices to like request that there's a dual referral for those things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tangent aside, the next thing is something that like I've thought about because I've been doing it myself and it's frustrating, but I'd never even thought about like, wow, how nice is it that they're acknowledging this education of individuals with the disorders and their families as well as employers and staff is important to improve the quality of life for affected individuals and their families and to facilitate appropriate accommodations at work and school. Beautiful. And to help inform the disability assessment and determination process. Because I have recently gone through these things. I, you know, I still work full time and I had to, um, go through some disability processes at work to get some accommodations. And then I was also doing that for my child as she's going from elementary school and up into middle school because of the demands being increasingly difficult for her to Yeah, especially, and I don't know if this was a concern, like my daughter, her high school stairs are a big problem. Yeah, and that's that's like when in their elementary, they're typically not in buildings that are that large that there would be stairs. But here in middle school and high school, there are stairwells. And the kids aren't allowed to take the elevators. Nope, you need a special key and a pass. And then when you have the elevator key, you get harassed by people. And then then also here, um, post-pandemic, they still don't use their lockers. So they're carrying their book bags full of everything they need for every class all day in between all seven periods. Mm. up and down the stairs. Anyhow, the eighth conclusion is something that I'm super passionate about and is definitely one of my special interests. 
Ongoing research on the heritable connective tissue disorders is important to advance understanding of the disorders and their effects. In particular, research on care services and interventions for the heritable connective tissue disorders and secondary impairments is needed. Like we said at the beginning, you said, hey, let's go over all those comorbidities. And I said, well, like, we can talk about them. Yeah, we can talk about them. This is a small list, but also like we don't really even know the whys or the exact links and it hasn't really been studied. We just are all anecdotally discovering, oh, we all have this issue. You just like broke my brain. So right. And it's such a good way. It is good. But also it's like it's making me almost want to hit the um the the wall where it's like it's like so much and then it's like I get excited, but then you like freeze. Yeah, it makes you feel excited, but like you're gonna hit the wall in terms of what? So when I first um I'm excited, but I feel overwhelmed because because it's exciting and there's a lot of new stuff coming down the pike. It's just like it's a spiral, right? Like, yeah, more people are learning. Yeah, more information. Yeah, you know, it's so it's exciting, but it's just a little scary. And I think I'm only scared because I am super prone to hyper fixating on something and getting lost almost into a black hole. So mm-hmm. I think I'm less prone to that now that I'm more aware that I'm prone to it. Awareness yeah. is key. But that's that's all. That's why it's exciting. But I'm like, man. Anyway, I so think for me, having it all written in black and white and feeling, feeling, you know, first, uh, oh, this is all very, really validating. These are things that, like, we've said and thought and discussed. Yeah. But then also, it was validating. Like, there it is in black and white. Other it people so agree. Validating. But I've been so right about so many things in my life and no one has given a fuck. No one's listened. So I'm kind of like, they're saying in black and white, yeah. And then it's just going to be like, well, denied. Well, and so that's the other thing that I worry about is like, okay, well, this is a pre-publication. So it's not like, are they still going to be hesitant to listen? And those problems are still there. It doesn't solve the problem by just saying it is a problem. The medical system moves very slowly. Yeah. The government moves really slowly. Yes. You know, we're talking about a lot of disconnected things too that need somehow connected kind of a great allegory for our lack of connective tissue anyhow yeah but you know so like it's very hopeful to read all those things and like see it acknowledged but then it also like spelled out it makes you realize like the actual state of our care and the awareness and diagnosis yeah but there i mean there are other good things i've seen too like the EDS Society, their newest studies, they got a big grant and they're studying some interesting things that like I thought were going to take forever to get acknowledged. The epigenetic aspect and adolescence. Yeah, you're okay. You're right. I just I I'm not I don't I'm not being pessimistic. I've just always been more of a realist. Like that me too. This is awesome. But now let's come back down here because that's a that's a group of I forget how many people. But those are a group of people that are very educated on these issues. Right. So how so, how's that going to filter out? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot. Let's um 
Can we, do we got any lighter content for this episode? Because, <laughs> you, you know. Maybe you want to, like, let the listeners know more about, like, me and you. Oh. Are you comfortable with that? Can I ask you some questions? I mean, I guess I signed up to answer some questions. Sure, right. Decided to do this, right? Okay. Shelly, yeah. tell me a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, hi. I'm Shelly. <laughs> I am, um, I keep mentioning that I'm old. I am a middle-aged lady of 45 years. I don't like that word. We've discussed that. I know. And that's precisely why I said it, because I love you. Um, I, let's see, I grew up, I, my, I'm a child of divorce, right? Um, as most people, not about half people my age seemed to be. I grew up in Northern Virginia, where I spent most of my child. We, my dad got stationed to DC. He was in the Coast Guard when he, I was five. And then my parents got divorced. So we stayed in that general area. So I am an East Coast girl, DC suburb kid, went to college at the University of Virginia and studied. I'm, I'm the first one in my family to go to college. So that was a big deal. Met my husband there. And let's see. Wait, how old were you guys when you met? So we met in 1997 when I was 20 years old and it was just before his 22nd birthday we met. Oh, cute. Yeah. And we got married in 2001, 11 days after 9-11, which made my wedding very interesting. And what planes weren't even flying and stuff, right? Yeah, we oh. were originally planning to have like 120-something people at our wedding, and we ended up, I think the final count was 85. Mm. Because a lot of cancellations and one of, yeah, it was. Anyway, Sounds like my pain. Damn it wedding that never happened yeah we have two children they are almost adults which is weird uh, my son's 20. Still my children. Hmm? they're still your children they are but it's you know it's it's fun i mean it's always been fun in some way shape or form but having adultish kids is it's cool like i'm enjoying it and my daughter will be 17 in september she's a junior in high school I love cats, birds. I used to drink. I don't drink anymore. I am well. That'll be a topic one day. Uh, I recently took up knitting. I'm super clumsy. I super like to be in charge. Today's my bestie's birthday, and she got me this shirt. And if you're on the video, I'm gonna try to. It says, "Let go, and let Shelly." <laughs> just let Shelly. Just yeah. Just let me do it. And there's a few reasons for that, and we'll get into that in the later podcast. I'm trying to think of one more funny thing to tell you, and you might not know it, Luna. When I was in college, I had a Class B CDL, and I drove 35-foot transit buses for my job. I did not know that, and that's totally cool. Yeah. So, like, if we were in an RV. Yeah, I could drive. Shelly's it. driving. Um, awesome. But not at night. That's fair. I, I can't see at night either. Also, did you know that's a thing in us? Oh, yes. Yeah, that was something right. we didn't mention before. Yeah, lights. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, it's not a big not deal, true. right? Um, we just make workarounds. What is seeing? I, I don't know if you guys can see, if, if anybody is watching this, but how dark it is in my room. I like it like this. this yeah. is I also like, everybody I, comes into my office and they're like, it's got a very nice vibe and mood in here. I'm like, yeah, the lights. 
<laughs> I have like little lamps. They're like, are you spooky? Like what's happening? <laughs> I just can't take fluorescence. They give no. me migraines. No, fluorescence are garbage. Yeah. Also, it it's less overstimulating. Let's tell our meet cute story. Who wants to start? Um, okay, so yeah, I'll say that one day my kids were bored during the pandemic and they beg had been begging to do TikTok dances. So I allowed it because what happened? I stayed on TikTok and then I started making content. And then and then I guess you saw a video of me. Somehow TikTok puts people together like with an algorithm it somehow knows the people that you're like and that's we'll touch on this we think tiktok is magic for bringing together people like us yeah but it very much brought us together in a way that we both were like huh? this is suspicious did you say what you think you said did you mean <laughs> it that way yeah so Shelly posted something. I, you know, I don't, and and we will be posting this in the notes or on our website, this particular you have to find it, yeah. I have to go back and find it. You know, I actually don't remember the original context, like the first one. I don't know what it was, but you said what you... I what ended up saying, yeah, I said, um, it had something to do with your job. So what I didn't mention in my intro is that so I went to undergraduate school at University of Virginia and I studied anthropology, but I have a master's degree in forensic studies and forensic accounting because I investigate financial, like auditing crimes, money laundering, stuff like that. I That's my jam. Cool yeah. And I mentioned it was right around the time because NeuroSpicy wasn't a hashtag that was always on TikTok, right? It was mm -hmm. right around the time that NeuroSpicy became like, right like I feel like that was a relatively new hashtag I just saw spicy and I was like oh I'm a neurospicy accountant or something because neurospicy and we'll get into it um I didn't mention this I didn't tell you all of my diagnoses and I'm not going to be not this would be terrifying yeah um, but neurospicy is just kind of a broad generic term to refer to someone who is neurodivergent in one but with like ways. mixed mixed expressions of neurodivergence yeah so like more of a like more well, spicy than just adhd yeah yeah unbeknownst to me spicy in the tiktok world has a totally other meaning go ahead and explain that because i still don't know if i can fully explain it because i didn't know so, it in tiktok there was this running joke about like people that were accountants and i didn't understand it at first until i started seeing a pattern and realized they weren't talking about being accountants accountants on TikTok is a spicy way of censoring yourself to say that you do sex work which i'm i have no judgment i 100 percent support sex workers I did not yep. know that when I said I was a spicy accountant, right? Right. And so she you stitched me. You stitched so like me. I, yeah. I was on like two sides of TikTok. Like this is like the mainstream pop culture stuff, which is where the spicy accountant jokes were. And then I was on the neurodivergent 
side of TikTok. And so I was like, I, this, I don't think she's this. I think it's more this. I think she maybe doesn't get the joke. I did not get the joke. So I asked and I just wanted to, I was like, I just wanted to ask and find out, are you actually a spicy accountant or are you like an accountant? Turns out it's, it's just an accountant, which I, I really like math. So that I like that more, maybe nothing against sex workers. I like them too, but I like math. So, and I also like, like investigating things and patterns and analysis. Yeah. So that was cool. But then we started noticing, yeah, that joke was funny, but like, maybe like there was a connection for a reason here, right? Yeah. So and what are like just some of the things off the top of your head that we started realizing, oh, we have that in common and that and that. I don't even, it was like, it was like I was looking at a, bizarro me i can't even give you like one specific example yeah it was, it was a bizarro world thing it yeah. was it was the yeah. most also yeah the but obvious like, things yeah yeah okay. so we obviously we found you know discovered we had a lot in common and we were both making content that we um felt passionate about spreading awareness about the topics that we're discussing today and so it really brought us together in this project together so it's just kind of a funny sweet rom-com moment so thank you tiktok jokes right thanks spicy accountants one of the things besides accounting that brought us together was you know obviously the neurodivergence um, and hypermobility so when was hypermobility first identified for you shelly okay so the first time I remember being told I was hypermobile or hype, you know, or just bendy or jointy or whatever. Yeah. Uh, was middle school um, because I did cheerleading, and when you we would do different dances or cheers or whatever, and you would need to straighten your arms or be bent a certain way, and I would straighten up, right? But like I would still be, I can't. So I would, you know, you can see that, right? Like that. Yeah. Her elbows going. I mean, what we call hyperextended, folks. Yeah. See, see, they're hyperextended now. So they would be like, straight. She can't arm. make her arms straight for the and life like, of her. I'm like, they're straight. They're straight. What are you talking about? And she's like, no, no. So then I would, le- I learned to not straighten all the way. So that it looks. That was good. probably a really good lesson, actually, as someone that's dealing with really severe elbow problems. It, <laughs> I wish I'd learned that. It, it is, except no one told me I needed to wear like a brace also. So no, I just learned. I just learned not to bend my arm, straighten my arms all the way. Was I still tr- doing handsprings and cartwheels and doing a back handspring into the splits at the end of a cheer? Yes. <laughs> because, oh, I was good at that stuff because of my mobile. So that was definitely one of my party tricks was doing these splits, but doing them to the point where like I would lift my feet off the floor and people would be like, Oh, I like to do that when I do my stretching and yoga or when you touch your toes and I just lift my whole feet up off the floor and like they come up this, like if this is the floor and then they go, like I can even do this with my fingers. So and they were like up like that and they were like. Okay, but so it was identified then, but not so it was really. identified. Okay, it was identified, but not. And then it kind of went away. Like I never 
thought about it again. But only in the back of your head, really. It didn't really go away. So then fast forward to 2007, and I'm 30 now, right? I have two children. 2007, my youngest was five and diagnosed autism spectrum disorder, okay? And then my youngest wasn't eating any food. They were both in occupational therapy, right? And so they were going to do the therapy and the kids were little, five and two, right? And my daughter was sitting. The flying W. Yeah. The flying W, folks. Here what it is. not to do. Please don't do this. I'm doing it once. I'm not going to do it on this podcast again. Don't do that. Um, yeah. So my kids were sitting like that. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it because I used to always sit like that, right? And so she was like, oh, kids have low tone, da 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 and she said, well, they called it low tone. They called it um, poor core muscles, like weak, you know? So I'm just like, oh, okay. So just do some ab work. It's fine. And then it, that wasn't fine. Um, Cause I'm the whole time thinking, well, I W's like whatever. So it was there, but not there. Right. And we were mostly trying to treat like my son. Wouldn't you have other concerns that were seeming right, like right, right. So that was 15 years ago. And so it, it didn't really, it came up again last year, 2021. How did it, I mean, like what came up for you? The hype, well, I was finally going to get some answers. And I know we weren't going to go too deep into this, but I spent mm -hmm. a long time trying to figure out what was wrong with me because I literally felt like the healthiest sick person on the planet. Like how can I outwardly most of the time present as a healthy strong woman right that's what I look like like the other day I was trying to make my bed and I couldn't lift 10 pounds like but I used to bench press 100 pounds it's like stuff like that yep. um oh my god I forgot your question so let's be so when we <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah. Okay. So identified when you were younger, you forgot about it, came came up with your kids. When were you diagnosed by a medical professional? By a medical professional with EDS. Yeah. The diagnosis oh, that was goodness. actually factually true. I was diagnosed November of 2021 by a geneticist at the Johns Hopkins Eller Stanlos Clinic. And can we just do some quick math here? It's July 2022. Yep. It's not even been that long. No, not even a year. But you're, let's remind our listeners, how old yeah. are you, Shelly? I am 45. Well, so you were 44 when this. I was 44 when I got diagnosed, correct. She was, Shelly was 44 years old when she was diagnosed with a genetic, inherited, yes. systemic disorder. Oh, and by the way, my grandmother had a uterine rupture when she was in her early 30s that required emergency surgery and a brain aneurysm. She lived through that. She had to have emergency surgery to clamp it. I've told every single doctor when they ask my medical history. Oh, also, she went blind because she had glaucoma. We'll get there about that, too. All of those things I told my doctors. And I told them all about my issues too. And none of them thought to think, hmm, do those things go together? No, you're fine. And they are all 
clear warning signs for very clear warning signs. more dangerous variants of the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Yes. I haven't, we've talked a lot about me. Like I, I don't, I would I like do to do that. I'm sorry. I'm, that's okay. That's how you do that. You do all the science and then you're like, nope, I'm done. No, no, you're going to tell us about you. I do you overshare though sometimes. Well, I can rein you in or you okay. can. Um, I'm having, tr so people, if you are watching this, I'm, I'm in my weird, uncomfortable phase and I'm, and I, and I, I'm overstimulated because I have hair poking me in the forehead and yeah. yeah. And if I turn That's off my camera, it's good. because I'm, I have to take some medicine and we'll talk about my medicine on another day. Anyway, Wait, tell right. us about you, Luna, while I take my medicine. Um, so I'm Luna. I am also middle-aged. Um, I just turned 40 in March though. So Shelly does have me beat a little bit. Yeah. Um, but so that makes her Gen X and that makes me an elder millennial. So we relate, but I also sometimes don't. Um, my Seinfeld jokes are too much. Yeah. But we, like I watch friends, so I get that. But so I also moved when I was younger. I was born in Detroit, but I moved to the South when I was about 10 and I was raised in the Nashville area. I went to college in North Carolina at a small school. And then I went up North, back up North to Cleveland for further education. And I spent about a decade there. I studied both art and uh, medicine with the intention of being a biomedical uh, illustrator. Ooh. I am not that. I am still, I do still consider myself an artist. It's one of my passions, but I work in healthcare as a profession, but it's not my biggest passion. Uh, my biggest like hyperfixation or passions are probably my other things that I do. I'm a very creative person. I um I do write and I do comedy. I also still sometimes do visual art, not as much as the people around me who think I'm wasting my time. And I do I do family genealogy on the side. I've been doing um family uh history and genealogy for about 30 years. So were you like old school with a library with the I was a child in the library doing genealogical research. And but I've been doing it professionally for maybe about a decade. Very cool. I come from a family of various ethnic backgrounds and immigrants. So I'm kind of a mutt, but I have a lot of childhood trauma also, which um is very interrelated with having disability and being not neurotypical. Yep. Um, I was diagnosed as a child with ADHD. Oh, you were? I did not yeah. know that. And as a child, I, I struggled a lot with the disability stuff, other traumas and difficulties. So it's very hard for me to separate how those interplay. And so trauma is one of my special interests yeah. as is like psychotherapy mm -hmm. and the mental health aspects of our stuff. And in the past couple of years, I've undergone like a religious deconstruction and I'm very interested in like spiritual pathways and healing related to that. And I think that's one of the reasons why you and I relate because we're interested in those yeah. other modalities to 
to serve us um, and, you know, allow us to live beyond just our disability. And I think that's probably my biggest passion is bringing awareness to this so that we can be more functional parts of society and to live in our higher purposes and contribute. And that brings me to my number one passion. I am a mama and trying to make a happy, healthy human. Um, I spend most of my time and effort on that part of my life. Yeah. That was not a little bit about myself. I think that was a lot bit about myself. Well, that's fine because I said a lot about me. So, and I didn't even like say like the rest of my family. Like, I feel bad. I didn't. Well, like, so I mean, I didn't really talk too yeah. much about mine. So, I just mentioned yeah. that they existed. I didn't. Yeah. So, my I do have, you know, like a family. I have a stepdaughter who's 13, a daughter who's 11. The biological daughter, the 11 year old, is the one who also has our issues. And then I have a partner who I'm engaged to. That we have our own relational issues, which sometimes come up in talking about relationships related to our disabilities. And we've been together going through pandemic time. I guess it feels like 30 years sometimes, but it's about four yeah. years that we've been, you know, together. And then I oh, and I moved back to Tennessee, so I live in the Middle Tennessee area, and I like to go out and enjoy the, you know, the nature when I'm physically able. I like yeah. the forest; that's my happy place. Um, I like botany, and yeah, I'm I'm getting into plants a lot lately. I like plants and mushrooms, like urban witch or something. Like I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm obsessed with all that stuff. Um, I actually, I research a lot about it because there aren't drugs for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, one thing I... Yeah, again, not talking about the people in my family, talking about special interests. That's me. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm uh, a autistic. Yeah, that, I found that out. <laughs> that's important. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's, Well, okay, so wait a minute. I don't think it's the most important thing about me. Oh, no, no. It's not the most important thing about you. I but mean, it's, it's important. important to this conversation. Oh, no, no. This uh, overall conversation that we're having. So oh, I wanted to yeah, clarify what Sally was saying. I knew what she meant, but listeners may not have known. Yeah. I, I, okay. I forget that not everybody is in this chaotic in our I mean, can we just get with the telepathy so I could just send a message and just be like, blink it and just be like, it's done. No, I told you I've gone through a spiritual awakening. I can probably get the message. I mean, probably, but now that and I probably have enough trauma and hypervigilance that I will have already predicted what you're feeling and going to say before you feel and say it. So fair. I mean, I got a little bit of that going on, but let's, you know what, before we get into that, you didn't tell me when you first found out you were hypermobile. Okay. So like you, it was a development, right? Yeah. Um, my warning signs and symptoms started in early childhood. But when it became very difficult was pre-adolescence. Okay. And very, very difficult in adolescence. But I was first, the first like physical manifestations that a doctor or a medical professional noticed were actually in childhood. 
they didn't they didn't know like you could tell they didn't like didn't know so like right. I was in and out of PT physical therapy a lot because I was a soccer player and was having a lot of injuries and I really just couldn't even like stay on the field and stay practicing and stuff and you know the physical therapist that was working with me I remember that conversation. I was like 12 and I remember the PT saying like, you're just really, your joints are really unstable and like kind of the things that I was trying, they were trying to teach me. It's not quite as advanced as like what maybe a PT would understand or do now. Um, but I remember going, yeah, but I remember being sent to get like orthopedic shoes. See, I didn't um, get that. And I think, I think you're more, you're, you're bendier. You've got more, you're looser than me in some places. So I, I do. I, I'm like, I have hip dysplasia. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that was, but they never really quite got it. And then when I was um, actually younger than that, I was like 10 and my mom actually got so offended by this ENT that she fired him because he was looking at me and said, I don't, see things like this except in drug addicts and she took offense to it like understand it like you're calling my 10 year old a drug addict oh but and that was, was the only way just, she could describe it he was actually just saying like i can't even place like or explain to you how severe this is except to say like i don't see this except in people who've like damaged their bodies with drugs so instead like, he was trying her... to express the severity of it and in, in her so she heard I've never diagnosed autism. She heard something else. And so she fired him. But he was basically saying, like, this is really like and different. So she, if she hadn't done that, you could have had some you could have I probably have. would have had uh the ENT surgeries that I needed younger. I didn't have those until my late twenties. Um, but it, that's I mean, that's an aside. Um, but but my point was there were doctors and medical professionals that had noticed things but maybe misdiagnosed or didn't diagnose or and like when I was a teenager and, and being evaluated, you know, all they could come up with was ADHD, but they thought there was really something else going on because I had such severe anxiety and depression. Right. I was not diagnosed with autism until I was 39. Okay. Um, but so anyhow, like then, you know, I went about my life and I really ignored a lot of my medical stuff. Um, I really ignored a lot of things in life. That's how I functioned. <laughs> Truly. I mean, push me aside and see what I can do for everybody ignore else. Around. The pain. Ignore the pain. It's not there. Um, until like I really couldn't. Um, I was in my like mid-20s and my back was just so in so much pain. Um, like, you know, I had seen my primary about it and they done done x-rays, and all she could right. say was that. Like it had a weird hinge to it, like, and my muscles were um, over, you know, compensating. And so she tried giving me muscle relaxers um, and then I destabilized. Right. And that'll loosen you right up. And yeah. And so she sent me, um, so I went and saw a DO who did um, adjustments and she adjusted me. And it, and it helped, but it didn't really stay. So, you know, I was doing physical therapy, all those things. Um, but the DO that had seen me said that I had really severe pelvic instability. And that's why she, when she adjusted me, you know, it helped with the pain, right. but why it kept returning and why my muscles re, um, remained very 
um, very tense and damaged. Um, and it was actually, it was so bad that it was curving my spine, um, you know, sideways. Yikes. And so that's when I was first identified with some different spinal curvatures. I've been identified as having mild scoliosis as a child. Okay. But then, but that's when they first noticed that I was having variable spinal curvatures that depended on my current state. And so like, I got those kind of weird diagnoses. Um, and, and there were lots of other things. I mean, so many other things and various body systems. Too. I would have like one, one in sixth grade, I like went to the eye doctor and I needed glasses and then I didn't need glasses after eighth grade. And when then I had very early myopia and very, and then, and then, then my stuff. mom accused me of faking it because I wanted to wear glasses. Like, she thought yeah. I wanted, I thought glasses were cool. Yeah. And I had one of my, one of the signs of another type of connective tissue disorder I have that we haven't mentioned is called Stickler syndrome. Um, and it's also a sign of EDS is um, very severe early myopia. And I do carry the brittle cornea genes as does my daughter. I don't have the like known. Um, Are you talking uh, the one that's published, but there have been studies on it and they do identify it as brittle cornea. So Anyhow, that's a whole other issue. But like, that's what I'm saying is multiple specialists have said, hey, there was something, but nobody ever said the word hypermobility until I was about 35 years old. And I was in hip PT for like, I don't know, probably the 17th time of my life, maybe more. And, and I won't, I won't name the physical therapist, but she actually said, I kind of, kind of bendy, but don't do that again. Like I physically made her disgusted and like by like in assessments and like how I was moving and like I was there for hip mobility. And she said, I'm actually really more worried about your shoulders. Well, sure enough, eventually my shoulders are a very big problem. Yeah. So she was right. Um, but also, so she literally said to me, have you ever heard the term hypermobility? And I was like, well, no, except maybe like they kind of said that my hips were on my pelvis was unstable. Right. And she's like, but you've never heard of it in terms of like an overall thing? And I was like, no. She's like, hi, will you please discuss this with your primary? And so I did. And like she had sent a report and my doctor was. And when was this? Of, How old were you in this? I was like 35, 36, maybe. So okay. my doctor was in private practice. She wasn't part of this big hospital system. Okay. And so I did. Um, and my doctor was also my daughter's doctor and this is important to the rest of the story and i'm trying to make this quick but so anyhow i asked my doctor about it and she's like no that just means like you're overly flexible you're just you know you have you know the joint issues i'm like okay i just accepted it and kept so having devolving symptoms yeah so you mentioned a key word there before you said hypermobile and you said unstable and so i had some one of the I had some knee problems. Instability. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, so I had some knee problems after I decided to take up running because I'm the type of person. Oh yeah, that, I did that too. I I've, did that too. I'm like, <laughs> I've never been able to run. What's wrong? I'm gonna make myself run. I'm going to do it. I'm and going I, to. And I did, and I was like breaking myself apart. But I had this knee injury, right? And I remember, you know, I went to the doctor. They sent me to PT. I got a little brace thing, but what they said was. The joint's unstable, do these exercises and it'll help improve or blah, blah. Like 
what I heard, and now I know this as an autistic person with communication issues and it's, you know, I heard do these exercises and it'll feel a little bit better and the problem's gone. Problem's gone. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to stabilize it. I did my I, exercise. Exactly. I it to, it my body's going to let me stabilize it. Truth of the matter is never going to happen. You may develop better postural control and habits. Mm -hmm. You may strengthen yourself to give you a little more stability, but you're never going to be stable. No. And that was key information that had I known that, because that injury was after I ran my first Ragnar race, which we'll talk about that one day. That's a big, long run in case y'all don't know. That was, and that was 10 years ago. Yeah. And I also was pushing myself with physical fitness and endurance. And I actually, and I thought one of my things was I'm going to run, I'm going to run a marathon. And then I realized I was having so many injuries and so much pain and problems. I switched to the water. Um, so I was doing really intense weightlifting. I mean, like boys, men were intimidated. I can lift. Good. Oh yeah. I'm strong when I have my partner would show off that I could lift him. He's a much taller human than me I've seen and very muscular. Him. Not a small I would dude. lift him off the ground. Could I do that today? And I, recently he was like, let's try it. I'm like, I'm quite stable to try that again. Yeah. Um, and I like, honestly, like I struggled to lift, like, you know, I was, I was moving a lot of weight yesterday. I was doing like PT on my elbow issue and like three pounds is painful. It hurts me to lift my mug, like to drink. Yeah. But anyhow, like, so yes, I did the same things. And like, when you're in your, I don't know, thirties or whatever, you think like, oh, I'm like, I need to take care of my body and this is how you do it. Right. And I want to keep up with everybody else. Maybe even more so. Right. Anyhow. So I got, I like, was I, I was like living the fitness life and all that. And then the, a lot of things happened for me, like in my life that pan, the pandemic happened. Yeah. And so I lost my co physical coping and I was coping because I had water cardio, which is amazing for us. And right. I didn't even know it, but I was taking care of myself. I had bar and Pilates and I had weightlifting. And it was like holding me together, but also mentally. Um, and yeah. then that sudden change of routine was debilitating. Yes. But also like I could not like I tried doing physical activity and exercises at home. And then but it was not stable enough for me. So I developed more injuries. Yep. Um, and then at the same time, my daughter, when she was 10, got very, very sick. And she developed a migraine that didn't go away for about nine or 10 months of her life. Yeah. I remember. She's that. a child. She's, um, so part of that, they were still in school and then some of it, we were, you know, at home because of the right. pandemic pandemic. And so we spent a lot of time, um, you know, going to the doctors, a lot of time trying to figure out what was wrong, doing scans in and out of the, um, children's emergency department. And even migraine cocktails weren't helping her. Yeah. And so my primary care doctor is also hers. And, you know, we're just like at our wits end and begging for help. And she, and I was divorced, but she sat us down, my um, former husband, her father, with her in the room and said, 
maybe it's just anxiety or depression and she needs to see a psychiatrist. You fired that doctor, right? I fired her. Okay. Um, and then the next time she was in the pediatric emergency department, the, the attending physician was a long-term, um, you know, employee had, had been uh, a pediatric emergency medicine doctor for quite a long time. So keep in mind, this is an emergency medicine doctor. They're not generally adept at seeing these things. Right. And he was like, she's been in here. How many times migraine cocktails don't work? And, you know, we've done, we've done brain MRIs. There's some slight abnormalities, but no, there's like no glaring tumor. Or, right. You know, and, you know, we've done all sorts of labs and she had some kind of weird labs. She did have um, like positive ANA, which indicates a possible autoimmune thing. Um, and she's been seen by an, a rheumatologist who did all the other testing and said, well, she doesn't have an immune disorder. Anyhow, so this emergency room doctor who was, did have some long-term experience though. Um, yeah, sounds like it. Said, said, I really think she needs to go back to rheumatology. I think it's her, I think her neck is too unstable. unstable. And I think that's what's causing it. And I was like, that makes complete sense. Now, keep in mind, I get migraines. I didn't so much as I think I did as a child, but now I realize, or what they've told me is I was, except they were considered abdominal migraines. So, like, I think we were getting Wait, both called kinds. What kind of, what kind of They're migraines? called abdominal migraines, like with the nerves are stimulated there for some weird reason. Wait, wait, you need to talk about those. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it accurately. Okay, well, without, we're like, we're going to put a pin we're in gonna that. We're going to pin in that. And it's also okay. complicated. But so like my, so I, you know, have been dealing with migraines, but part of my weird migraine thing was that I seem to have like different kinds of migraines and sometimes it would respond to medication and sometimes it wouldn't. And I had been telling my doctor, who's the same doctor, mm -hmm. that sometimes my when my neck and my shoulders are really tense and they hurt really bad i get migraines and all she told me to do was stop lifting so hard that my trapezius muscle oh. was giving me migraines um that, that was her answer stop, stop that was her answer. trying to be yeah. a living human now now i also know that i have an unstable neck anyhow so that's when i started that's when like he connected the dots for me. Yeah. Now you should know, in case you missed this, I have medical training. And I had actually looked this up already. And I had found recently, in context of that conversation, information about EDS. Mm -hmm. and, and, but in the background, I thought, no, because like, it would be worse, right? It would be worse. Not right. at all acknowledging the fact that she had had a nine-month migraine, but I was thinking worse overall. And yeah. I didn't, like, my child is very, very bendy and has other signs. Yeah. But that was her complaint. She hadn't yet had other that, serious, serious issues. My daughter's primary complaint at about that age was headaches. Yeah. Up something that I want to bring up, and if any of our, our listeners can identify, I just want to let you know you're not alone. Because you said something that I identify with, but in a different way. 
you just said you had medical training and you should have known like it was about gaslit myself. Like I've heard, like I had heard yeah. enough. Yep. You'd have been shut to, down to enough. Answer. And then when I read about it, I thought, well, I feel like I'm too healthy. You'd been shut down enough to like, just be like, no, I've been very severely medically gaslit and gaslit by my own family. And also because of that, even when you do complain, you minimize. Yeah. Yes. And also when, and I see this very well in my child, when we express our experiences, we struggle to process feelings, including pain. Yep. And we struggle to communicate. And so we struggle to properly in quotes, mm -hmm. communicate what we're physically experiencing. And also there's a physical disconnect because when pain is that severe, your brain and your body go, we are, yep. we're not, we're yeah. not going to talk about this anymore because it just hurts too bad. Okay. We're, we're not friends. Yep. And so but, said yep. Ehlers-Danlos syndromes. Oh, and I said, it's interesting because I kind of read about that and I, I thought, well, that does, yes, that, that could, but maybe not. And he said, we're going to, I'm going to have you see a different rheumatologist that is more aware of connective tissue disorders. And so long story short, Evelyn was diagnosed with um, severe neck instability causing her migraines. And they did an evaluation. They took our family history and they said, yes, she has joint hypermobility syndrome. I asked about genetic testing and they said, no, we don't really think that's necessary. Then I started doing more research and I started getting more concerned about my own symptoms and our family histories. And you've already touched on some of those red flags. Yep. And so long story short, they refused genetic testing. And I said, well, I'm going to show them. And I had her grandparents DNA because what did I say my other special interest was genealogy yeah so because I do genealogy of course I do genealogy on our own family and I used her grandparents DNA and I took their data with their consent to um, a place where you can transport you know bring your own data and use their software to view medical genome information that's awesome and i taught myself genetics i'm in the process of learning and i will be reaching out to you i'm sure yep and i in my in my head as i was learning more about hypermobile eds specifically because that was the suspect i found out that there were other types of the ehlers-danlos syndromes and other types of connective tissue disorders and so once i found out that there was more to it and that there were more variants and there were more concerning variants. Um, you know, I had already had some preconceptions about where it came from in the family. And right. I thought, well, I'm bendy. My dad is super bendy. Like one of the running jokes is, you know, his circus tricks. He can put his feet behind his head and I can still do that. And I'm a 40 year old chubby woman, by the way. Um, I'm just saying, I can, like, I can get my, my foot to about here. Yeah. yeah I, I, I never my could... else too. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't do that. I did when I was a kid. I did too. <laughs> I don't do that now. I swear. I, I really, I don't. I chew my nails now sometimes, but I don't, I don't chew my toenails. 
I feel like people are never going to believe me now. Anyhow, so moving on. Um, so I, when I opened that up, I looked at my dad's first. And sure enough, there were all yeah. these genetic variants. And I was like, and I, so I prepared this little report and I started taking line by line the parts of his genetic code and putting that in a report to send to her, her doctors. And it was very, you know, time consuming and tedious. And so I thought, how do I really want to like, look at this one? Cause like, you know, it's not gonna, my mom's not going to have anything on it. I opened hers. Dun, dun, dun. She has. So I should clarify, both of my parents have pathogenic variants. I have multiple Ehlers-Danlos syndrome variants now genetically diagnosed. Yep. So I wasn't surprised by my dad's, but when I opened my mom's, she has the most pathogenic variant as well as other variants. And she was she was the source of my recessive inheritance of several other EDS How? variants. We'll, we'll talk about her another day. I yeah, that's a whole other thing. But so I, and so part of the reason is in different variations of the connective tissue disorders, they don't all present the same. And in her variants, which is, we call it vascular EDS, but she also has arthrocolagic EDS, which I inherited. So she's kind of mixed in her presentation. Her hypermobility is generally in her fingers and her toes. And they are very, very... They're more hypermobile than me. Like we would always laugh at her because she would put her toes under her feet in a weird way, like that. And I also, like I had very long toes, but like that was never like comfortable to me, even though I could, they're very weirdly bendy. But she would sit there like that and we would be like, ew, you know. But, and then she also has very severe neck instability. She's actually had two spinal fusions. But I didn't, like because of my preconceptions of all this. Same. I had preconceptions too. The blames all of it on being fat. Well, that's what doctors like to do too. So, yeah. but my dad would just tell me, oh yeah, your aunt Nancy just had some fuses and the nerve issues and the degenerative discs. And I was like, what? Yeah. And well, and also it's, it's very obvious in our families. Yeah. Uh, not only that, but the neurodivergence that goes along with it is probably more debilitating to be perfectly honest. Um, and in, and more widespread, like everybody yeah. in my mom's family, I would say is just about autistic, but not all of them are dealing with severe hypermobility. The women are, the men, it's not as severe. Tea helps them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, but so anyhow, I mean, that's a good point is that it does vary across um, it's a lot of gender expression yep. and hormone expression. Yeah. Um, but so anyhow, I was not, formally diagnosed until after my child was diagnosed. So I took those reports in great shock. And right. I mean, I, I wasn't like a, I wasn't, I probably wasn't that demanding. I'm going to be honest. I gave them a report and I said, please consider genetic testing. Here's why. Okay. And so they would not accept that to diagnose her because obviously that's not what she inherited, but given the widespread the factor Yes, given the widespread information combined with our family histories and clinical presentations, odds are going on. They, yeah, they then did say, okay, you know what? We're going to fit you in in like three months. So it went from like a two year wait to like overnight. So that's good. Um, but you 
but you were gonna do something else too, right? Yes. So when they test, you know, like, so they didn't, they don't generally, they will send off a sample to a lab and they're going to test what they call a panel of genes. And so they're going to test a small selection. Um, and there's different panels depending on how your doctor orders it, by the way. And so they tested a narrow. Would that panel. be like, let me, uh, okay, let me get some clarification. So would that be like, if I go to the doctor and I get a blood test, and they order a CBC and a lipid, like a CBC and the lipid test. That's two different mm -hmm. tests. So even though they take my blood, if they do right. the CBC, but not the lipid panel, I will never be able to know what my lipids were. They don't know the rest of the story, right? Okay, so that's what they did. They just, they're just taking a tiny bit and testing. Right. Tiny so they, right. So they're only going through those portions of the genome. So that's what they did. Um, they tested her and then they were like, okay, these are the genes we identified. Now we want to test the parents. And so it's like $150, like a, a gene, a test. Per and so gene? anyhow, I'm per gene or per like panel. And oh, it's oh, like $50 oh. per gene. So they were like, well, we could test just like these couple concerning genes on both of you and it'd be like $50 each or we could do a couple more panels and it'd be like $300 because it's 150 each um You're but right. so anyhow so as I've been waiting I tested myself and I use a company that does a full genome none of this like I just went outside of my insurance I paid for it when I was on sale yeah and I was again had a moment of beaten stunned and I'm still, I still wrestle with it. And one of the things that I found is a gene. Um, and so like, and then I consulted with a geneticist, like, so let me clarify, like, then I took that to geneticists, um, different than the one my child sees, but very knowledgeable. And they identified that I have something that used to be considered an EDS diagnosis but is x-linked in the presentations and it was declassified because they see it more as a neurological disorder and my daughter's brain mri shows all of it anyhow so What's it come to find out that panel that they did did not include this gene so then i was like you know what that thing's on sale again and so i I have um, ordered, you know, the tests to do it at home and then send it off to the lab to look at my daughter's entire genome because on sale, it's probably going to cost less than if we keep doing panels. 100%. Um, and you'll have it. Yeah, have the whole and thing. I'll have it um, instead of trying to like wait on her dad who, like, like I already mentioned, we're divorced. I have no control over the man, but I, I need I need to be able to know how to treat my child effectively. Yeah, 100%. So anyhow, that's our next adventure in this. But so in that process, you know, I tested myself. I got, I saw a geneticist. I got diagnosed. Um, I was 39. I was towards the end that. of my 39th year. I found out all those things. And here we are still waiting on getting my, my little one, um, you know, the support that she needs. And that's my driving force because I think back to all those things we talked about where like it was kind of like noticed but not really effectively managed. Same. And I think a good good point in this is that we can be proactive. Even even though we are middle-aged and many of us are not diagnosed until middle-aged. 
the average age of diagnosis, you know, is unfortunately our age. Um, so like, I think that brings up, you know, really good segue into our next episode. I think that's what we need to talk about next is diagnosis. We kind of, we already kind of started touching on it, but a little bit, but it's, it's uh, a lot going on. So we hope you stick around for that next episode. Yeah. I don't know that we can top this. Uh, That's a lot going on. Yeah, that was a lot, but so thank you so much for sticking around, listening to all that and listening to the hyper um, hacking hypermobility podcast. We do appreciate you hanging out with us. Yep. If you can take a minute to share this podcast or follow us and leave us a review and help us grow just to spread the awareness. If you're a fellow zebra, we would like to hear from you and please share the love. Yeah. So wishing you healthy hypermobility and have a happy day, zebras. Have a happy day, zebras. Bye. Bye. Really, Annie?